as the uh, video shows there, we have a lot of ideas about peace. I'm sure you had a lot of different ideas about peace around your tables. It seems it can be anything from a cup of tea to having time for yourself to no more war. We have this very broad view of peace that leads us to sometimes just listing off a bunch of buzzwords like Lenny Kravitz does off the beginning, which half of you probably didn't hear because you were still having coffee, which is fine. Coffee is peaceful to me. But Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. So we should look at what Jesus says about peace. Uh, And so we have three, actually, passages that are going to come up on the screen here. You get bonus points if you listed one of these passages during your Bible search in here. So if you're keeping score, two points if you said this one at your table, any of these three. So the first one is John 14, 27. Yeah. I am leaving you with a gift of peace, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Second is John 16.33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then Paul is picking up on this theme that Jesus is going with in Romans. And he says in Romans 8.6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So in these three passages in which Jesus or Paul is teaching about peace, they're setting up a contrast. They're comparing two things. They're comparing the peace that Jesus gives and the peace that the world gives. And this contrast, this comparison, is drawn more specifically in Galatians 5, which is where we get our fruits of the Spirit. And in that passage, before Paul lists off our nine fruits of the Spirit, he lists something that is different than the fruits of the Spirit. That's the opposite of the fruits. So this is in Galatians 5, 19 to 26. It is obvious what kind of life, this is the message version as well, so it's a little bit of a different translation. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable actions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. Paul gives this huge list of things that we naturally do when we follow our sinful nature and compares them with the things that we do when we follow the Spirit, our fruits of the Spirit. So when we're looking at the fruit of peace, we need to look Well, we can see in this list that Paul makes that the things of our sinful nature aren't peace. But there are things that we often try to find our peace in. And we're going to look today in three areas in which we try to find peace in the wrong way. And we're going to have an action for each one to help us remember these things. So I hope you're ready to do some actions. I'm awful at actions. So since I made these up, you know they're going to be really easy. So you can do them too. So the first one that we're going to look at today, which Pastor Brad's going to come up and speak about in a little bit, is on wealth or material objects. 
So our action for wealth that I want to see you all do is going to rub our two fingers together as if you were full with money, cash money in your hands here. If you like football, I believe this is the Johnny Manziel thing that he does. So wealth, that is our action for wealth. Grabs for happiness and trinket gods. Talk about people who try to find peace in power or material goods. Finding security and peace in things that are our own, the things that we own. And because we have all this money and all these things, we can feel secure. Because if anything happens, then at least we have the resources to do something about it. Except that security never comes. We may have lots of wealth, but we always feel like we need to get more and more and more. What we have or what we don't have isn't the foundation of our peace. The peace that Jesus offers in comparison to this is trusting in his promises. That he is with us forever, that he goes to prepare a room for us in his father's house, and that he's safeguarding our treasure in heaven. Now at your tables, that I know every single kid has already busted into that Play-Doh, but there is a reason that there's Play-Doh on there, and it's not to distract your children. The Play-Doh that we want to do, you to do with, what we want you to do with the Play-Doh, there, got it, is we wanted you to take that Play-Doh and mold it into a material good or something that you try to find peace in instead of God. It could be a house, it could be money, something material that you try to find peace in instead of God. And you're going to want to mold that, and we're going to do something with that near the end of our talk. So you do have a time limit in which you can make that thing. All right? So make a material good that uh, you try to find peace in. You can do that during the songs, you can do that during the talks, as long as you can pay attention while you're fiddling. All right, so our first one is wealth, all right, wealth. Our second area that we're going to look at is identity. So this one, you need to give me the two thumbs up, and we're going to point it at ourselves, because it's all about us, identity. That is our action for identity, all right? This one I will talk with you guys about in a little bit later, but mental and emotional garbage talks about people who are trying to find peace by finding themselves. We try to find peace in our identity. But the peace that Jesus gives us is rooted in who God says we are. In fact, it might seem contradictory, but our identity actually has nothing to do with us. It transcends us. It's above us. It has everything to do with God. And God is never changing, whereas we change all the time. And so when we try to find our identity in the world, it's always changing, and there's no peace in that. God has the final say in our identity because he created us and he knows us better than anyone else. It's like if you were to take that clay and make a cup out of it and you said to this clay, cup, you are a cup that holds water. And the cup speaks back to you. The cup says, no, I'm a speaker that plays music. The cup is never going to be able to find peace in that identity because it's trying to be something that it wasn't created to be. And we do the same thing with our identity. So that's going to be the second thing we're going to talk about is identity. And there's going to be a response to this as well. You'll see that there are mirrors around here. This is an exercise we did with the youth about a month and a half back. And so on those mirrors, feel free during the talks or the music or that time to come up to the mirror and write on that mirror. There's some whiteboard or dry erase markers there. Write on the mirror some 
negative things that you think about yourself when you look in the mirror or things that you've heard other people negatively say about you. These things that we tend to find for some reason our identity and that we naturally listen to and think are truths about us. And so you can go up there and write on that. This is a time for you to reflect on those things, so don't take your time snooping at what the person ahead of you is writing. Really just, you can look for some ideas that are already written on the mirror, but uh, write something that you think negatively about yourself or that people have said negatively about you on those mirrors. And I know it's a mirror, so you might will probably automatically go to a physical appearance thing, because that's what happens when we look in mirrors. You can write those, but also open up to maybe some actions or some character things uh, as well. So that's going to be the response for that, and we're going to have a response time later near the end for that as well. So there's your clay, and the mirrors are your two. We've got wealth, we've got identity, and our third one that Ruth Ellen's going to talk with us at the end is going to be peace in relationships. And this is the funnest action, because the action for that one is high-five the people around your table, because there are relationships, friendships right there. There you go. Some good high fives going on. So paranoid loneliness and cutthroat competition speaks to those who try to find peace solely in relationships with others. We feel peace when we have lots of friends or everyone likes us. But as we know, there's never a time where everyone likes you. Someone will always not like you. And there will be times when we fight with our friends. If Joey Tribbiani and Chandler Bing fight with each other, you're probably going to fight with your friends. Or kids, if SpongeBob SquarePants fights with Patrick the Star, you're probably going to fight with your friends. It's just going to happen. But peace that Jesus offers is found in relationship with him. Because again, Jesus doesn't change. People change. And so it's a constant. It's peace that remains. So if we get our peace from the unchanging Jesus, then that peace will flow into our relationships. It doesn't mean we're not going to fight with people. For peace doesn't mean the absence of conflict. But not having conflict won't be the foundation of our peace. Our foundation will be Jesus. So Ruth Ellen's going to talk about that in a bit. So let's review our actions, all right? So first, Brad's going to come up in like five seconds here. And he's going to talk about wealth. There we go. Good actions. All right, this, this side's a little lacking in the actions. I need to see a little more gusto over here. And then our, our second thing we're going to talk about is identity. So let's see the thumbs up and point to ourselves. There we go. And our last action, uh, last talk is going to be relationships. So high five the people around you. Let's hear some good slapping. All right, and now Brad's going to come up and share with us. So today we're talking about peace, and one of the temptations that I have when it comes to peace and thinking about peace is that I often think, okay, I could be at peace if my circumstances were different. If this thing could just disappear from my life, then I would be totally at peace and peaceful. Maybe you think to yourself, oh, if I had more money, then I could be at peace. Or maybe, oh, if I went to a different school and those other people that are creating relational conflict would disappear. 
then I would be at peace. Or maybe if I had a different sibling in my, in my home. Or maybe, you know, if this bad thing hadn't happened to me, then I would be at peace. But today I want to share a true story with you. And it's the story behind the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And it was written by a gentleman named Horatio P. Spafford. Kids, how would you like to have that name? Horatio Spafford. He was born in 1828 in Troy, New York. And he grew up and he became incredibly successful. At one time, he owned more real estate in greater Chicago than any other person. He was a lawyer. He was uh, gave uh, tons and tons of money away to missions. He helped fund some of the early evangelism of Dwight Moody and was just incredibly generous with what he had. But this was a man who had it all. He had a family. He had uh, whatever he wanted to buy. He had the financial resources that he could buy it. And he had four kids and a son. He was a devout Christian. He was a faithful student of the scriptures. Uh, he had many, many influential friends. And in his day, whatever you shaped in your clay, he probably had it. And he probably had more of it than you or I have or access to it. But at the very, very height of his success, as he came into his 40s, he suffered and experienced deep tragedy. The first thing that happened to him was uh, the loss of his only son through scarlet fever in 1870. That happened very quickly, and he was very shocked by it. And then right after that, in October 8th of 1871, the great Chicago fire broke out. And it was the largest fire in Chicago's history, and it destroyed almost every single real estate investment that he had. And so he was ruined. And he needed to get away from it all. And so he arranged for a boat trip to Europe in order to give his wife and his daughters uh, some much needed vacation time to recover from this big tragedy. And so he sent his wife and his daughters ahead of him. And then just at the last minute, he had to stay behind and tidy up some business related to some of the real estate holdings. And so several days later, he received a telegram that was from his wife, Anna, from England. And it said that the family ship had encountered a collision in the middle of the Atlantic and all four of his daughters had drowned. Only his wife had survived the tragedy. And so she sent him a message that said, simply saved alone. And with a very heavy heart, Spafford boarded a ship to go to England and be with his wife to comfort her. And as he traveled on that ship, the captain called him into his quarters at about the place where the accident happened. And he said, Horatio, this is about the place where your daughter's ship would have gone down. And so as he was passing over that approximate spot, he penned the words to that now famous hymn. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, meaning whatever comes into my life, God has taught me to say, it is well, it is well 
with my soul. Even so, it is well with my soul. And see, when we think about, and I think about peace being the product of circumstances, we think, oh, if only the seas were calm, if only finances were good, if only relationships were healthy, well, then I would have peace. But Horatio's story and his song reminds us of the fact that we can have peace in any circumstance, but it's a learned peace. It's a peace that is a gift. It's a peace that we have to work to receive. In Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned the secret of life in any situation or circumstance. It comes in verse 7, he says, from fixing my eyes on Jesus. And then... Philippians 4, 7 says, you will experience God's peace, a peace which exceeds or surpasses anything that we can understand, and God's peace will guard and will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, that phrase, is the location of our peace. Author and pastor John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, peace does not come from finding a lake that has no storms. It comes from having Jesus in the boat. Peace does not come from finding a lake that has no storms. It comes from having Jesus in the boat. Ron and the team are going to lead us in singing this song, It Is Well With My Soul. And as they do, I want you to think again today about anything that might prevent you from experiencing the peace that God would want to offer and give you today. There might be a restlessness in your heart that you just, every time you think about peace, you think, yeah, but this. And you may not have made it into a, something in play around your table, but you may just want to go to the mirrors and write that barrier to peace up on the mirrors there. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you and the prayer team will be just available uh, just beside the mirrors at the sides and at the back there. That will be Deb and several others and Katie this morning. And maybe for you, you've been seeking peace in other things. Maybe you want to use the clay to shape out for you something that you've been seeking peace in that has been insufficient or incomplete for you. And right after the song, we're going to give you some instructions as to what to do with that play. But maybe for you here today too, maybe this is a new idea for you and a new thought of the source of peace that it's found in Jesus. One of the texts we read in Romans chapter 6 around our table says, therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, friend, today, if you're here and you just think this notion about peace and the possibility of peace is something for you that has forever eluded you, maybe it's because you don't have Jesus in your boat. And if that's you today, I'd invite you to take that step. We'd love to pray with you, Katie or Deb and the team or the people around your table that you came with. would love to pray with you and lead you into that place and experience of saying, I want that peace that passes all understanding that comes through knowing Jesus. 
And so as the team leads us in song, we invite you to just do some reflection around your table. You might just take this as a moment to sing this out. You might take it as a moment just to be quiet and to listen to the words that are sung. You might want to do some shaping with your play. And at the end of this song, then uh, Mike's going to give some instructions about what to do with the mirrors. And so you'll want to be making your way during this song before the end of the verses to the mirrors and writing up on there either a barrier to peace or an identity issue that would form a barrier to peace for you. Powerful story for a powerful song that this peace that passes all understanding, passes all material goods that we have. We're going to continue and now talk about identity. Feel free to jump up and keep writing on those mirrors, keep forming that clay, uh, and we're going to do something with the with them at the end, so your time limit is till I'm done speaking on identity here. So uh, feel free to keep writing those barriers to peace and those identity crises up on the uh, on the mirrors and formed in the clay. And so we have these mirrors and writing these negative things that we think about ourselves, these negative things that people say about us and. When we look in the mirror and see these things, we think, yeah, this is true. This is, this is me. We think it's truth. So instead of looking at the person who is truth, that being Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, we look instead for truth in our surroundings, in the world that's been corrupted because of our sin. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to want to transform these things on the mirror. It's not a bad thing to want to be healthy, to have better relationships, to do more good and less bad things. None of those are bad things to want. But in seeking to transform those things, we can have the wrong motivations for them. We could be trying to find our peace in that transformation. And by trying to find our peace, by transforming ourselves, we are saying, yes, these things in the mirror are true. This is who I am. This is my identity. And so now we're trying to transform these things to be someone else. We think that we need to transform our identity. We need to transform these things in the mirror ourselves, and then we can come to God and receive his love. But it's the other way around. It's Jesus who has to transform us. Our sinful nature, those things that Paul lists in Galatians, are things that we just naturally fall into because we're slaves to sin. And so we need to come to Jesus first, who sets us free from that sin. And then he will transform us. We look first at who Jesus says we are, say, yes, that's who I am, and then Jesus transforms us into that. God knows us best because he created us. And so he knows who we really are. So you might look in this mirror and come up and say, I'm ugly, I'm fat, 
And so to find peace, we try to change our looks, plastic surgery. We try to lose weight. And if we try to find peace in that, it will never come because we always look in the mirror and end up dissatisfied and try find something, and we find something else that we want to change about ourselves. Instead, we should be finding peace in what God says about us. And God comes and he says, no, that's not who you are. And the psalmist says in Psalm 139, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. See, God's creation is beautiful and marvelous, and you are the crown of his creation. So you're not ugly, you're masterpieces of God. That's who God says you are. The world and the media with its magazines and its TV shows may say that you've got too much weight on you, that you're not beautiful enough, but God says you're my masterpiece. You are beautifully and wonderfully made. You may look in the mirror and think, I have no friends. I am alone. But that's not what Jesus says. See, Jesus calls us his friend. He says, I no longer call you slaves, but I call you friends. Because the slave does not know what the master wants. But I have told you everything my father wants and knows. Paul refers to the church as his brothers and sisters 89 times in his letter. When you accept and follow Christ, you have a new family in the church. Jesus says he never leaves you. You are surrounded by brothers and sisters. You are in God's family. You are children of God. You are surrounded by brothers and sisters in the church. You're not alone. And you may look in the mirror and think, I have done some awful things. There's no way I can be forgiven for the things I have done. You think you're unforgivable. But God says that's not true. You're not unforgivable. The Apostle John says in his first letter, but God says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness, all wickedness. There's nothing that's unforgivable. You are forgiven if you find your identity in Christ. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. One that I often struggle with and sometimes still struggle with when I look in the mirror is I am useless. I can't be used for anything good. I don't have skills. I don't have talents that matter. But God says he has given you his spirit and it comes in power that he will make you his witnesses, telling people about the good news of Christ everywhere. See, you're not purposeless, you're not useless, you're actually purposed. You have a purpose. God made you to be 
witnesses. And lastly, you might think that there's no one who could possibly love you, that you're unloved. But God showed his great love for us by sending us Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You are loved by God. See, we don't try to find peace in the identity that the world gives you because it's not the peace that Jesus gives. In this world, we will face suffering. It's the world, is chaos. <laughs> and suffering and spilt Lego blocks that you drop, you step on and it's painful. But Jesus says to take heart. Take his peace because he has overcome the world. We are not what the world says we look like, what the world says we act like, or anything that the world tells us we are. We are who Christ says we are, masterpieces, children of God, brothers and sisters, forgiven and purposefully made. And there is peace in those things. The band's going to play two songs in response. And during this time, we're going to take the clay and the things that we have formed that are objects that block our peace, barriers to our peace, and we're going to smash them into lumps. And there's tables set up on either side. And what we're going to do is we're going to take those clay and we are going to shape it into the cross with all our clay together on each table, representing that we don't try to find our peace in these objects anymore. We find our peace in the cross, in Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, because that's where peace that passes all understanding comes from. And during this time as well, with the mirrors, you can go up and erase that word, that negative thing that we identified ourselves with, and replace it with who God says you are whatever you feel like God's calling you, maybe spend some time in those Bibles and finding the identity that God gives you. Masterpieces, children of God, brothers and sisters, forgiven, purposely made. Erase that word and write up there who God says you are, not what the world says you are. I think we'll have the prayer response team on the side as well for you to continue to come and find prayer during this time as the band leads us through these two songs. John 14, 27. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Peace is a gift. Jesus' gift to us. We've, this morning, we've been looking at a couple of areas in our life where we really need peace and what the world says to gain peace and contrasting that with what the Spirit gives as peace. The first, if you remember, that we looked at was wealth. Rub your fingers together. The idea that we need peace for our physical needs and our physical wants. The world's answer is to store up lots of stuff then you'll never be in need and you'll never have to feel like you have to do without. 
but that doesn't work because as we saw, stuff can get lost and destroyed very quickly. Jesus, the way this peace that the Spirit gives is not based on something that you could lose in an instant. It's based on Jesus. That peace is rooted in finding he is our provider. He will give us everything that we need, and he has a good plan for our future. We can be at peace no matter what we have or what happens to us. The second one that we looked at, push your thumbs to your chest, was the need for peace and identity. We've all had those experiences of feeling gross about ourselves. You don't fit in. You just don't know who you are. People call you bad names, or maybe you believe it, that you're ugly. You're not worth it. Well, the, the world would say, here's what you need to do. You need a makeover. You just need to make over all this, because all this is wrong, and then you'll be at peace. Or you need just to be successful. Work really hard at school, and then you'll be fine. If you work really, really hard at work, your boss is going to love you. That will give you peace. You'll feel confident. But we know that doesn't work. Jesus says, actually, if you want to feel good in your identity, not just good, but have peace, you need to actually give up yourself. You need to give that up to me. Find me and receive your identity that's rooted in who I call you. Not based on what you look like or what you do that I love you and I've called you my child and I've made you beautiful. I, you are my precious image. You are image bearer of God. And then you'll feel at peace no matter what you look like, no matter what you're able to do at any given season or not do. The second or the third one we're going to talk about um, today that I get to talk about is relationships. Everybody give each other a high five. All right. There you go. I'll just do air high fives. I like this one, if you can't tell. I could just do this all day. It's a good workout. Pregnancy workout, the high five DVD. No. Um, I think we can all, don't have to think very hard to think of the last fight that we just had. Because let's face it, we fight almost every day. Or we have an argument. At least I do, confession. Um, if it's your family, whoa, shocker. <laughs> you might fight with your family a lot. Or your friends at school, at work, coworkers. And anywhere you go, your neighbors, neighbors can be pretty challenging sometimes. We fight a lot, so it's pretty evident that we need peace in our relationships. We need peace in our homes because it does not feel good to fight, does it? It feels gross. And the world would say, okay, here's what you got to do. You want peace in your relationships? You just need to control everybody. You're in control. You make sure you manipulate them and control them so they never hurt you. That's one way you could do it. Or the world says, no, here's another way. You don't want to do that? You just become a people pleaser. Just don't care. Just do everything they ask you. Don't offend anybody. Don't get them mad at you. Just go along, do whatever they ask of you, and then you'll never fight. The third way, just become a hermit. Just ignore people. Just, just avoid them. Never, never have to talk to people. Separate yourselves, so, and then they'll never hurt you, and then you'll never fight. If you're not around people, well, then you're not going to fight with people. That doesn't work very well, does it? And what's interesting is that 
if you think about all those three, identity, wealth, the need for possessions to be at peace, and the need for relationships to all be calm, and how do you, you control them, that's how you do it. The world would be telling us that to control, that we just need to look on the outside. If we can control all this stuff out here, me, this, things, we control that, then we'll have peace inside. But Jesus says, as we've seen over and over again, the Bible says clearly, that's, that's backwards. You actually need to radically change what's inside of you. And the Spirit can do that. Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. That's inside out. It's an important concept because Jesus doesn't promise that things around us will be calm. It says in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you, as Jesus talking, that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. Because guess what? In the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So trouble will come. People will let us down. And Jesus even promises, if we follow Jesus, some people are going to hate us and be mean to us simply because we love Jesus. So peace rooted on the outside is just not going to last and it's not going to be strong. But Jesus' peace is found in him. And he's saying, don't worry about the world. I've overcome it, so you don't have to. Stop trying to control it. Just focus on me. In Psalms, it says, God, you keep in perfect peace those whose minds are focused on you. And as this happens, as we believe Jesus is in the, is, does this, and you trust and you focus your mind on him, you give up trying to find peace these other ways, something remarkable happens. You actually get peace. You find that Jesus' words are true and trustworthy. And as you get peace on the inside, you are actually able to start extending that out and become peacemakers and bring peace to those around you. The Bible has a lot to say about peacemakers, actually. It continues to encourage us to say things like, uh, you seek peace and you pursue it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Things like this over and over again. That It's actually part of the heart of who God is, that he gives us peace and he wants us to give it back to people. And so as a church, we want to do this. And the elders of this, this year, they had said, you know what, let's actually create a document. And they just released this this past weekend, and that's on your tables. I think it's called Principles or Pathways to Peace. I'm not sure of the quite the correct title, but basically it outlines what the Bible says about practical ways to uh, work through conflict with each other here in this context at church and find healing and restoration and, and work to unity and peace together. And it's super simple. It's double-sided. It's just one page. Kids, you could use this. I encourage you to go home and use this in your families. You could use this at school. You're like, I am having trouble with his friends at school. And I don't know what to do. How do I address the conflict? Um, or at work, or, you know, moms at the playground, sometimes, yeah, things can happen. So it's really helpful to have just this brief overview of what does the Bible say and what are wise steps we can take. So I want you to do something for me for a minute, though, so you can browse through that during your own time here. I'm going to just highlight a couple of things. But first, I want you to put your hands together and just start rubbing them. You can rub them fast, hard, slow, doesn't matter. Just rub your hands. 
you start noticing something, they're warm. That's right, Amaya. If you don't feel warmth yet, just keep rubbing. That is because of friction. Friction are when two things rub up against one another. You keep rubbing. It's your workout for the day. Come on. And you were learning about friction at school. Cool, so you know. Sometimes some friction, it creates that warmth, that energy. Friction is not always bad. When we're in relationship with people, we tend to have some friction. But one of the first things in that document that says is, guess what? You can stop rubbing if you want to. People are different. We're to celebrate the ways that God made us unique. So we're not always going to agree on things, but that's okay. Actually, it sharpens us. We can create a bit of energy. But what if you have another type of friction? What if it gets a little bigger, like this? What happens if I rub two balloons together? It's going to sound squeaky and weird, and they bounce off each other, and it's not very nice or peaceful. Well, it will stand up. That's right. If you rub hair, balloon on your hair, and that's not peaceful, and it looks gross, and you're just like, oh, I look like a crazy lady. Well, that's what happens sometimes when, say, you're at school or at work, and somebody says something that you don't like, and then you say something back that you know they won't like. Right? That's not working for peace. Now you have some unhealthy friction, and it's squeaky, and it's noisy, and it's not good. So one of the things that we can do, the Bible says, is instead of reacting and saying something back that they're not going to nice, oh, I don't like you, and they are ignoring them, leaving them far away, what you can do is you actually say, the Bible says a gentle word turns away anger. So practice saying a gentle word in, in response. Or stopping and listening. Instead of saying, you always do this, just say, you know what, I'm feeling like this. Don't blame them immediately. Thank you, Amaya. But, but focus on, on voicing your own emotions first instead of blaming someone else. And it also says sometimes that's the point when you actually do need to give up your desires for somebody else's desires. Say, okay, I'm going to, you know what, I want to have restore, restoration in this relationship. So I'm going to, to give up my desires right now so that we can come together and have peace. But what happens... You have another type of friction altogether. Something really sharp and hurtful, like a knife. What's going to happen if you rub these together? <laughs> Something's broken. And it was loud. It wasn't peaceful. It was angry. And, and, and it ruined my cool balloon. Don't play with knives. Don't play with knives. I think we can all think of a time when we had a fight like that, right? When somebody said something that hurt us pretty, <laughs> or dreams, somebody said something that hurt us pretty hard. Or maybe we said that word to somebody that cut them pretty deep. How do you work for peace now? Things are broken. Well, the Bible says an awful lot about how repentance and how forgiveness is the pathway towards peace. So you, you talk to God, you pray, and then you try to take steps that the Lord gives you. You try to forgive. You work through his grace, you're able to forgive, and you repent. 
There's plenty of other things as you're doing this that are, the Bible says that are good options, like not gossiping. It's really hard sometimes when that happens. You just want to go and tell somebody about it. The Bible says that is not a pathway to peace. If you want to bring restoration, you go directly to the person. You talk with them. If you need it, bring somebody else with you, a third party who can help mediate between you while you talk it out. But you see, God, God's heart for us is unity. God's heart is that we would be a people who work together in unity. And so he longs for us to have peace. So even though it's scary, even though it's hard and it's hurtful at times, God will give you strength and courage and he will help you find ways to be peacemakers and restore those relationships that are broken. Something else really interesting that happens as we start working for peace and God brings it to us is it doesn't just stay in us, right? It extends out. And as we do this, people begin to see that God is in our lives, that he's important to us, and that we're actually changing to become more like him. And that shows them who God is. Part of that is declaring just by your actions That God is the Prince of Peace, not everything else. And you're helping point the whole world, those around you, to Jesus for their own peace. We're going to spend a couple of minutes at our tables asking God to give us peace in our relationships and in our own hearts. If you're new and you're just freaked out by what I just said, don't worry, you don't have to share any big old thing. That's, that's totally fine. You tables at your table, you can say, okay, like, do we want to talk about this or do we each just need to like, you know, spend some time quietly in our own hearts? But if you call Jericho home, if this is your home, we really want to be a community. We really want to be a community who seeks peace and pursues it that is known for its unity and its peace. So I'm going to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And kids, you too. Share with somebody to, you know, this week, I have this thing coming up. I really need to peace about it. I don't know how to work with this relationship. Or I, I just really realized suddenly that I don't have a piece of Jesus. Or I need to forgive somebody. I just spent a couple minutes as a, as a table praying. We're going to have about three minutes to do that. And then the team's going to sing one song. That'll be your cue that you can start wrapping up your prayers and then, the, and then the second song we'll sing collectively as a group. But before, we, before I let you guys go to pray, I do want to just remind you, everything that we've been talking about, the peace that we've been talking about that is ours, that's a gift from God, the only way we can get it is through Jesus. And not just knowing about Jesus, knowing Jesus and his spirit. And if you're sitting here and all of a sudden, I pray the spirit is here and he is testifying to what I say is true. When, if you realize that you don't actually know Jesus, you just know about him, I ask that you would accept him today into your heart. Because you're not going to get this peace no matter how hard you try. It's not, it's not going to come. You need, it has to be rooted in him. And if you're feeling some conviction, the Spirit's work here, not ours, the Spirit's work is to convict us of of sin. The only reason he does that is to lead us to repentance. 
So don't be scared of that feeling because that's a loving God who is pushing you in this area so that you can repent and move past that. Find freedom. So if you're feeling that, don't shy away from it and push that away. Soften your heart and ask the Lord. Repent and say, God, I want your forgiveness. I want your healing here. And he will give it. That is his promise. He is near to the downhearted. He hears the prayers of his people. So with that, I'm going to say let's go ahead to our tables and just ask, one, where do I need peace? Can you pray for it? Two, can you help me with this relationship? Just bring this to God. I don't have peace in this relationship.